Uh, we're in this uh, series, Do You Remember When? It's what we've called it, because Christmas is a time when everybody reflects back, and we have all these memories of what it was back in the day. I posted a, uh, I'm on Facebook, which I probably shouldn't be, but uh, I posted a picture up there from our family, my, the siblings, not my, my uh, parents, but us kids sitting in front of a Christmas tree in 1954. That's how we used to decorate Christmas trees. Real popcorn on a real Christmas tree. So, by the way, uh, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, so you might want to turn there in your Bible and follow along with me. Uh, we're going to talk today about, do you remember, do you remember when God stepped into time and space? That's what Christmas is all about, when God stepped into time and space. Well, let me start out by telling you a Christmas memory that I have, something that I fondly remember. I don't know how old I was, I'm guessing six, seven, eight, something like that. I think I was in school probably. Uh, my little, my younger sister was there, Diana, and my sister Pam was just a baby, so it was probably around 1955, 56, something like that. My parents went shopping. I remember it was after dark, and we went uh, into a store. It was a storefront. Back then, small towns like Butler, Indiana were self-sufficient. Everything you needed, you could get right there in that town. Actually, you could, you could walk to a grocery store because people had grocery stores in their living room or their front porch, more like what we would call a convenience store. You know, you didn't have all the options you have at, uh, what's that grocery store in Auburn? Kroger. Yeah, why can I not forget that? Maybe it's because I don't go there. My wife does. That's probably it. But you didn't have all the options. You didn't have a whole aisle full of cereal options and choices and breads. Uh, but you had all the basic necessities. And we went to um, uh, a store in Butler called, I think it was Barrett's 5 and 10 cent store. 5 and 10 was a, a national chain. And an, ind an individual family would have a franchise with that, and they would open it up, and it was a 5 and 10. And it was a general store. You could get a little bit of everything in there, not large varieties, but you could get a lot of things. And so my parents were in there. It was, it was an old storefront, you know, those long, narrow stores. And uh, back in the back is where they had the toy section, and that's where my attention was. And I went back to the toy section, and I was... Um, what's the word, captivated by all the gifts. They had these islands, square islands in the middle, and they had shelves all around on both sides, but these islands were just full of toys, the two in the back. And I remember just being amazed, walking around and around and around those islands. And I remember my sister Diana came to me, and she said, Dad says it's time to go. Well, you know, you know the rule. When the father tells you to do something, you do something. But I couldn't get away from these toys. I mean, they captivated me. I went around and around and around the aisle, and I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there in a minute. There, there's, a, there's a word for it when your father tells you to do something, and you don't. Rebellion, that's what it is. So I was doing my rebelling. Back there in the toy section, you know, I was, I've told you before, as a child I had attention deficit disorder. 
It does not mean you can't focus if you have ADD. What it means is you can only focus on what you want to focus on. And I wanted to focus on those toys. And they had my undivided attention. And I could not focus on my parents or what my parents were telling me to do. So finally, I decided if I don't leave, I'm going to be left. So I went to the front of the store, looked around for them. I couldn't find my parents anywhere. I run back to the back. Maybe they were after me back there. Run back in the back, looked around. They weren't there. Run to the front. They weren't there. I remember where we parked our car, and I could see it from the front window. So I looked across down that side street, and I could see their car. So I knew they hadn't left me. But as I'm watching, I looked down there in the corner of the window, and there was my dad looking in. <laughs> Never took his eye off me. He knew where I was the whole time. Even though I was rebelling, never took his eye off me. That's my Christmas memory. I hope you have a Christmas memory. And it would be good if you thought about your Christmas memory, what you remember when you were little. And just ask yourself, is there a spiritual lesson I can learn from this? Was God trying to teach me something from this experience I had way back then? So we want to talk today from the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading this. The first thing I want us to see from the Christmas story, and there's three points. The first point is in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, so we'll read that together. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, who also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. We're going to stop right there because this is the first point I want us to draw out of the Christmas story here. God arranges our steps. Did you notice as we read through that part of the Christmas story, there wasn't anything in there about God? There wasn't anything spiritual mentioned at all? It was just the government ordered this and the government ordered that? Wouldn't it be something to live in a world where the government ordered our steps? I live in a world, maybe that's where you live, but I don't live there. I live in a world where God arranges my steps. I live in the kingdom of God, even though I live in this world system. I want us to see that in the Christmas story, God, Jesus, stepped into the world's economy, the world's time, the world's orders, the world's system. I can live in the kingdom of God, even though I live in the world system. So when the next election comes around and everybody's out there throwing all these fears at me, trying to get me paranoid, trying to get me terrified so I'll vote for their candidate, I'm not going to get caught up in it. Because the principles of the kingdom of God work no matter who's in the White House. So where is God in all this? He's behind every single detail. It looks like God's not there, but he's there. 
Could it be in your life it looks like God's not there? Where's God when I need him? Everything's falling apart. Nothing's going my way. Could it be that God is arranging your steps through these things that are happening in your life? They look all bad, but could it be that God sees what the future holds? And so he's arranging you. He's organizing that. God works his wonders within this worldly economy. Can he influence the politicians in Washington? Whether you voted for him or not, can he influence them? Probably not if you don't pray for him. But if you pray for him, whether you voted for him or not, if you pray for that individual that's in Washington, that senator, that congressman, that president, the people advising the president, if you pray for them, God can influence them. That, that's happened in the Bible multiple times. So I just want us to see God is at work arranging our steps. God is in the world around you, and his kingdom principles still work. If we work them, we have to do what he tells us to do, and then we'll see amazing things happen. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is another word for Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. God predicted that this Messiah, this deliverer, was going to come from this little small town of Bethlehem. So God had to get Joseph and Mary, who were down here in Nazareth, he had to get them to Bethlehem. So how did he do it? He influenced the politicians to have a census, so everybody had to go back to their native land and register. God's at work behind the scenes. My family purchased a subscription to StoryWorth for me this last year. A lot of you don't know what StoryWorth is, but it's a, it's a company that produces books, and they do this online thing where they allow me, since I've subscribed, I get to write stories. They ask questions about my life. I answer the questions. And a question came up just, just last week. Have you ever seen any real miracles? So I had to sit back and I had to think, have I seen miracles? Have I seen God do something? And by the time I got finished writing, I didn't have, a, I didn't have an outline. I just started typing up my thoughts. And by the time I got finished, God had taught me something interesting. The big three miracles that have influenced my life are all three events that weren't spectacular, glamorous, things that would, you'd want to put in the newspaper. They were all coincidences that God lined up for me because he arranges my steps. It's when I did this and God happened to be there when I got there. It's when God put those things together. By the way, let me just throw this in. This isn't in my notes. I guess I got time for it as long as it don't take too long later. I went to a funeral. I officiated a funeral of a man who was in our church many years ago when our church was young. We didn't have many people. We didn't have many resources, but he was actively involved. He actually drove our church bus down through the, the trailer court. And if, 
If you don't know what that's like, just take a drive through the trailer court and imagine you driving a bus through there with cars parked on both sides of the narrow streets. Now, he did that. Anyway, I was... Uh, I walked in the funeral home and I walked up to his son-in-law that I hadn't seen in years. But I walked up and he was in a circle of people chatting and he stopped and stepped back and he pointed at me and he said, this man saved my life. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But he went on and told, don't you remember? It was, must have been about 1981, a long time ago. Our church was just brand new. He said, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Not a good picture. And he said, I came to church and asked you to pray for me. And you prayed for me. And he said, here I am. The next time I went back to the specialist, they couldn't find a sign of it. It was gone. And I thought to myself, he said, don't you remember? Don't you remember? No, I don't remember what happened 40 years ago. I can't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> and I thought to myself, God can't get the glory if we don't tell the story. And so I decided, here's an opportunity this morning. I shared it, I shared it a couple other times already in the last couple days. If we don't tell the story, God can't get the glory. I want him to get the glory, so I want to tell the story. God healed that man. If he healed that man, can he still do it? Why would he not still do it? All right, let's go. So God arranges our steps. Here's the second thing I want to see. It's in verses 5 and 6. So I'll read that so you know where I'm coming from. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. While they were there, the time came. The time came. Must have been a priest time for it to finally come. So here's the, the second thing. God manages the clock. Not only does he arrange our steps, he manages the clock, the time system that we live on. Yes. You realize you only have a, a limited number of years in your life? And some of us, I can tell by looking, we're on the other side. We're on the back half. We have more days behind us than we have ahead. And if you're, if you're right with God, that's okay. That's okay. I don't feel like I'm losing anything. I feel like I'm gaining day by day. It's okay. God manages the clock. Notice it says that she was pledged. It means engaged, committed to. You're not looking at somebody else once you get pledged. Focus on the future. And the verse we just read points out that God was the father, not Joseph. She's pledged, not married. God submitted to this worldly system. He wants to send his son to redeem the world, but he sends his son as a baby, as an embryo, 
And Mary has to wait nine months for that baby to be born. Why? Because that's the world system that God was stepping into. So he stepped into that limited system. Once the baby was born, he was totally helpless. And Mary and Joseph had to help him along the way. They had to teach him how to eat. This is the Son of God submitting himself to humanity. Jesus submitted to the world's time and space. Stepped into our world to identify with us. So that we would know he understands everything we go through. Because he went through the same things. Titus chapter 1 verse 3 says, And which now at, this, at his appointed season he has brought to light the, through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. There's an appointed season for the word of God to be preached in this world to sinful people like us. There's an appointed time. I am so blessed because I live in the appointed time. You live in the appointed time. Yes. God's doing something in this world around us. The world is blind to it. They can't see it. Most churches are blind to it and can't see it. I'm excited to be seeing it. I get to live in this world where God steps into time and space. This is the appointed season. This is it. Right now, we're living in it. I don't want to miss one thing. I don't want to miss it. I want to be a part of it. Another scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. It says this about Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. There's a proper time for people to hear the good news. I believe there was a proper time for me to hear the good news and respond to it. God had arranged that time. He's managing the time in my life. I believe he's managing the time in your life. I believe many of us can look back and we can remember where we were, who was talking when we opened our heart and invited Jesus Christ to come into our life. You can remember those details because it was an appointed time that God had arranged for you. And I'm aware, every time I get up on this platform and preach the word, I'm aware that it's an appointed time for somebody. For somebody. I don't know who, but somebody. I believe this morning there's somebody here and you're hearing me talk about the appointed time because God's arranged it. He's managed it for you. Yes. So this is the proper time. God can't get the glory if we don't tell the story. Maybe we need to tell somebody about our time, our appointed time, when we made that decision for Christ. Let's go to that third point, which is in verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Have you noticed that in this world there's no room for Jesus? Have you noticed that? People in this world, they, they want Santa Claus. They want the Easter Bunny. 
They don't want this real Jesus who came to this earth to redeem us and to show himself to us. This world isn't interested in him. There's no room for him. But that's okay. There wasn't any room in the inn either, but Jesus just marched right in there. There may be no room, but he's going in anyway. She brought forth her firstborn son. The emphasis is on is off God and on to Mary because Jesus was stepping out of heaven and stepping into this fallen world. He's stepping right in. Bible is full of stories where God moved in where he wasn't welcomed, where he wasn't wanted, where he wasn't expected. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know who those three were? They were God's people held hostage in a political situation, taken out of Israel and moved to Babylon. They were displaced to take away their desire to revolt. Took them over to Babylon, got them good jobs, resettled them, moved other people into Israel. That's how they used to do it back in that day. Just move whole populations from from one region to another to take away your patriotic desire to revolt. And go back to the good old days. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived in a world where there was no room for God. But they decided they're going to pray anyway. They're going to pray anyway. They're going to stay faithful. So they were arrested. Ordered to be burned. Thrown into a fiery furnace. So they get thrown in there. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who ordered them executed because there wasn't any room for God in the land, looked in that furnace and he says, didn't we throw three men in there? I look in there, I see four men walking around. Who's that fourth man? Guess who he is? It's Jesus Christ. Where there's no room for him, he moves in anyway. How about the story of Israel? They were captive in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They wanted to get out of there. Pharaoh did everything he could to stop them, but finally he gave up, and the Israel marched out, and they're heading toward the Promised Land. They get to the Red Sea, and they don't know what they're going to do. They turn around and look back, and here comes the Egyptian army, that there was no room in Egypt for God. But here they come with swords drawn. Do we go back this way, where we're surely going to die, or do we march out into the sea where we're surely going to die? It looks like God's abandoned us because there's no room for him here. God tells Moses, stretch your staff out over that sea. And when he did, the waters parted. Israel crossed over to the other side. Egypt thought, hey, that's a pretty cool thing. So they started chasing them across the Red Sea. When they got in the middle, it all closed up on them. God moved in where there was no room. Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching about Jesus. There was no room for Jesus in the city of Philippi. So they got arrested, locked up in chains in the prison. And in the middle of the night, they began singing praises to God. You know, some of us are glad to sing praises to God when everything's going well. When we got a whole choir up there leading us, we're, we're, we're glad to sing along. But there wasn't anybody. There was no room for Jesus in that jail. Right in the middle of that, the earthquake came. All the shackles fell off. 
Jail doors swung open. They were free. They were liberated. Jesus stepped in where there was no room. David went to visit his brothers when they were at war with the Philistines. And when he got there, he found out there's this big bully of a giant Philistine by the name of Goliath saying, send someone over. I'll fight him one-on-one. All the Israelites cowered down. The Philistines had no respect for God. There's no room for God in that land. But David says, how dare this guy, this big uncircumcised Philistine, how dare he come out here and talk about God that way? I'll take him on. Give me a, just give me a stone and a sling. So he put that rock in there, swung that sling around, let her fly, hit Goliath right in the forehead, knocked him flat. Bible doesn't say that stone killed him, but it does tell us David went up and picked up that Goliath's sword and cut his head off. That's what killed him. Point is, again and again, we see stories in the Bible about God stepping in where there is no room for him. Maybe you think in your life there's no room for God. Watch out, because he loves to step in where there's no room. Give him a little space. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Think about that. God says right off the bat, stop trying to figure me out. Your ways aren't my ways. You're never going to figure out how God works. Stop trying to figure it out because you're just going to get a headache. You're never going to figure God out. His ways are not your ways. His ways are his ways, and he's a good God. So he's got good intentions ahead for you. We have to remember that. God's ways are different. So what we have to do is spend our life exploring and learning God's ways. What are God's ways? How does, what motivates God? And how do we know what motivates God? We've got to read it in the book. That's, this, is, this is why God's given us this book. So we can figure out God's ways. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. These things you don't learn in a class, although you do learn some things about him. You have to walk the journey. You have to experience it with your own life, that God is a gracious, merciful God. He's a mysterious God, and we have to search him out. I want to give you an assignment. Sometime this afternoon or tomorrow, get your Bible out, blow the dust off of the thing, open it up in the middle, right in the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, find chapter 139. And before you read it, just say, Lord, I want to, what is it about you I missed? I want to know about you. What is it you want to tell me about yourself? And read Psalm 139 with an open mind that God is telling you something about himself. And when you read through that, I believe God will speak to you. Because he loves to do that kind of thing. So I'll conclude by just kind of going back to where I started in the five and ten cent store with my family. 
my dad telling me it's time to go. And I'm back in the back rebelling. Could it be Father God's trying to talk to you and you're back in the back rebelling doing what you want to do? But remember, before you feel like God's had enough and turns his back on you, remember, he's always peeking around the corner. He never takes his eyes off you. No matter what you do, no matter how stubborn you get, no matter how far away you walk, he never takes his eyes off you because he loves you. That's who God is. He loves you. Loves you. What are you going to do with that? We need to step into that. Allow God to do something amazing in your life. Let's stand together.